too strong, the majority bearing the red, white and blue and hoping for a memorable evening. Here comes Matarita for Costa Rica. And arriving is Fuller, scored! Exactly one minute in, with a blow to the jaw of the United States. They've come out and absolutely punched the United States right in the mouth. Now, how do they react over the next five to ten minutes? Going to have a huge impact on whether or not they're going to have a say in this game. Here's Dest. of this team is really well you know we help each other we're playing like a team we've faced a lot of adversity so far throughout this qualifying process the team stuck together dug in and i was really happy with the performance after the first minute goal is underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez and Sebi Salazar. I was in Columbus last night. What a game. What an atmosphere. What a crowd. I know you were calling it on ESPN Deportes. How did it come through on the TV? Loud. Loud. I, I imagine it was a, as loud in person as mm. I felt it uh, doing commentary for Latin America in this game. The ambiance was spectacular. I'm glad the, the crowd came out in full force to uh, support the national team. Our desk position, Herc, was right next to the American Outlaws. I'm still a little bit hard of hearing. So uh, <laughs> if I yell throughout this program, it's more than the usual. Uh, you can certainly blame me for it, though. Coming up in this show, we got Tonio Valle going to join us from down in Mexico. Give us a little perspective, not just on Mexico's win over El Salvador 2-0 at Cuscatlan, but also on the window uh, as a whole. We're going to look back at our picks for CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Ooh, we, we might want to make some changes <laughs> uh, six games into this 14-match uh... slot. We got the... Latest U.S. Women's National Team roster drop as well. One of the biggest names in the sport uh, back in the team. We'll talk about that. And as you just saw on your screen, you can listen to all that in the podcast version of Football Americas. But let's start as we started the show in Columbus. Hercules Gomez for a game between the U.S. and Costa Rica. Costa Rica had come into this one having won the last three World Cup qualifiers between these two teams and five of the last seven. And Hercules got off to a... Terrible start for the Americans. Ronald Matarita, the cross. Keisha Fuller, the goal. 59 seconds in. The U.S. was behind. Panic stations hurt. Uh, incredible. It's a direct ball over the top. Little flick on. Stefan comes out, makes himself big. Good there. But watch this little back heel by Brian Reese. Maybe he's 107 years old, but the experience is there. <laughs> Ronald Matarita, good little ball across. And Fuller, this to me... I don't want to put it on Stefan. It looks like he was thinking the guy's offside. He wasn't offside. It may have had something to do with it, but then, how about this? This is just a straight golazo. I don't care where you are, what part of the world. Do not give Serginho Dest time and space in the box. Ronald Materita took him to his left foot, and Serginho Dest took all of it. Yeah, and he beat Kaylor Navas and made it look uh, pretty easy. How about the buildup in this play, Herc? Nine of the 11 American players 
touch the ball. This is something we haven't seen too much of through qualifying. Yeah, it's great movement by Timothy Weyer right there. And then it brings it back, springs it across. He's looking for Weston McKinney, goes over McKinney, and Eunice Musa. Eunice is just so good at covering ground, so good at his technical ability, and plain simple. But do not give this man any time and space. What is he good at? 1v1 in the offensive end. He made him pay. Best U.S. goal since, uh, maybe Jermaine Jones, 2014 World Cup. Penalty shot for Costa Rica in the 37th, Herc. Was it a pen? That's a pen. That's a stone-cold penalty. Uh, Chris Richards, this is unfortunate for Eunice. Eunice right there uh, leads the ball to, to Moya. Moya's going to hit this, and Chris Richards stops the shot. Not the ball. He stops the shot with his foot. This was a penalty. So Costa Rica getting a bad break with a no call there, in your opinion. A real bad break here. Keylor Navas subbed out at the half. Leonel Moreira comes in. And Herc, this would play a part. At least in my opinion, this would play of a course. part in the U.S. eventual game winner. But there was almost a game winner for Costa Rica in the 56. Brian Ruiz until the parachute came out. Oh, the parachute. The, the sled with weights, whatever you want. There's Miles Robinson with a terrible giveaway. Lasted days ago to Chris Richards, square ball. Brian Ruiz, meet me. No, 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 no running today. <laughs> That's Miles Robinson catching back up. But this is what Costa Rica is today. And in this fortunate play here, little through ball, George Weah. And you said it, Moreira comes in, he's cold, gets beat in his near post own goal. Totally on Moreira, right? Navas is gonna save that 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, I would say so. That's his post. He should save it 10 out of 10 times. Uh, that one time it doesn't go in, that's the time off his back. Timothy Weah, he won't care if he gets credit, credit for it or not. That's the eventual game winner. Yeah, he doesn't. It goes uh, in the books as an own goal on Moreira, the backup goalie for Costa Rica. Definitely want a, uh, another shot at that one. The U.S. would continue to pressure, would continue to search for a third for that insurance. Brendan Aronson put it to the back post here. Somehow Matthew Hoppe keeps it in, and Ricardo Pepe just denied the shot. Okay, Matthew Hoppe, just, he wants to keep this in, the fight to keep this in, but watch the intent right here, Ricardo Pepe. He already knows what he wants to do. Three guys go with the fake. Duarte recovers very nicely, though. Set piece danger late, 87th minute. Bolaños puts it in. It falls, nobody wants a piece of it. Brian Ruiz on the doorstep. Ooh, the Americans might have been bailed out by that whistle there, Herc. Yeah, absolutely. Saborio comes in, uh, so does Watson, and so does Bolaños. A set, a set piece specialist and two very good guys in the air. You can't give up a free kick in these instances. They do it not once, but twice. It didn't start well, but all's well that ends well. The U.S. wins 2-1. Here's Greg Berhalter, post game. You know, I think the mentality is take every game at a time and give your best and try to win every game. And sometimes you're going to do it, sometimes you're not. Um, you know, what I try to avoid, especially with the team, is, you know, that, um, you know, putting pressure on them because of external forces. You know, we have enough inter internal pressure that um, we want to play a certain way, we want to play well, and we want to win games. But, you know, it's these all of World Cup qualifying is difficult. All of World Cup qualifying is challenging. And sometimes I feel like people forgot that and, and people think it's, it's a cakewalk and you know we're gonna play the youngest team in the history of US soccer in a game and we're just gonna breeze through these games. You know it's, it's not realistic. Um, what I will say is that the guys fight and the guys give everything and um, that's all you can ask. Hercules, we're gonna, we're gonna learn later in this show 
from Phil Neville of all people, that you have to be careful with words. And it's something that I am learning today because last night on the post-game desk, I uttered the word apology in the context of Greg Berhalter and our crack producer, Betinho, the great Betinho heard it and he has turned it into our first topic here on Football Americas. Do we owe Greg Berhalter an apology? Which really, I read to ask, did he handle this window correctly after all? Now that we can look back on the window in its entirety. No. No, we do not owe Greg Berhalter an apology. And he didn't handle it well in its entirety. Listen, nobody told Greg Berhalter, sell us the idea of this progressive football, this possession-based football with wing progressions, this exciting brand of offensive football. Eric, you that was when he took out. over. We're talking about Let the me World finish. Cup qualifiers Let of the me last finish. week. Let me finish. Nobody said, tout out the youngest lineup you can find, Greg. Nobody said, make a makeshift lineup, seven changes to it, and tout it out against Panama. That was you. And we certainly didn't say, put yourself behind the eight ball and leave it all to the final window in a final home game in Columbus, Ohio. That was Greg Berhalter. He talks about these, this external pressure uh, about, hey, this isn't going to be easy. It's not what you guys think. We didn't say that. You said that. Your team last FIFA or fixture date said nine points. So the pressure was on you. You said they were going to play a certain way. So the pressure's on you. You tied out this young lineup. So the pressure is on you. You made seven changes. The pressure is on you. I don't know why all of a sudden... They want to get insecure with this. Six hmm. points was the bare minimum you had to do. The bare minimum. And he did that. Hmm. So the main charge here for Greg Berhalter is, is probably like that he over-rotated, right? That, that's the main thing that we can accuse him of. But if we look back, I think he actually didn't over-rotate. The seven changes against Panama, when we look at what Mexico did in their last game against El Salvador, they made eight changes. Right? And they were still able to go into El Salvador and win that game to nothing, Herc. And what we learned there is that the Mexican players, Mexico's second group, was capable. I think this, the Panama game was not a failure of Greg Berhalter. It was some players who had individual bad nights at a very bad time. They lost that game. Greg Berhalter's rotation did not. If that doesn't satisfy you, Does let, me, let me look at the guys at the teams that didn't rotate and what happened to them. Panama. Remember we said, oh, they only made two changes from their first to the second game against the United States. They only made one change from their second to their third game. What happened in that third game? What happened in the second half of that third game? They shipped three goals in 12 minutes against Canada and lost four to one. Uh... That's a huge defeat for Panama. Let's, let's focus in on Costa Rica, why okay. don't we? Costa Rica made three changes from their second to their third game. Two of those changes, by the way, forced. Ortiz because of COVID-19 and Joel Campbell because the of an injury. injury. And, and what happened to Costa Rica in the second half? We literally saw the human definition of somebody running out of gas in Brian Ruiz. Costa Rica didn't have it in the sixth half of these Please three games. And the U.S. did have it. And the U.S. did have it. And that's why they team. got those three points. Costa and beyond Rica. That, Go ahead. You can't, you, can't, you can't criticize them objectively. If you I want can. to criticize subjectively about, about how they play and this and that, you can. But objectively, you cannot criticize because you, you set out the minimum. You said it was five points last time, and he hit that. Now you said it was six points, and without Christian Pulisic, and without Seth, Gio Reyna, he Seth, hit that. I'm not and criticizing the points he hit. I'm criticizing how he went about it. This is where you're so far off. You're naming these teams. You forget 
They took each game at a time. They made their rotation and how did in the it work last out game. For them? Did any so of them get everybody's six wrong besides Sebastian Salazar is what you're telling me. You're comparing Costa <laughs> yes, Rica. thank you. <laughs> you're comparing Costa Rica, whose youngest player was 27 years old, against the U.S. men's national team, whose oldest player was 26 years old on that day. You cannot compare the two. You're comparing depth on one squad to another. You can't compare the two. The circumstances are different. This is why it was a failure for Greg Berhalter. Not the points, because that was the bare minimum. Nobody's going to say they didn't get what they needed to get. I'm telling you, Panama was there for the taking, and he didn't take it. He got too cute. All right, you want to get subjective? Let's be subjective. Let's grade the performance against Costa Rica, because there I think we can uh, maybe in a more friendly manner agree to disagree. Now, uh, which grading scale are we going to use here? Because I got in a lot of uh, hot water for my E's last time around. So we're going A, B, C, D, F. Herc, what grade are you giving this U.S. team for the performance against Costa Rica? I'm going to give them a B. It's just a B. It's not a B minus, not a B plus, nothing like that. This is a very young team. I get it. It's the youngest team in World Cup qualifying history. Uh, that means nothing to me. It shouldn't mean anything to you, the fan. It shouldn't mean anything to you, the pundit. That means nothing. They're still the U.S. men's national team. They're still playing, representing their country. First minute they go down, I love the character I saw because in that moment it's like, all right, let's see what type of team this is. Let's see what type of players we have at our disposal. And it was a great reaction. But let's put a little bit of context. The U.S. men's national team took what Costa Rica gave them, and they did very well. That still, you had a team that goes down in the first minute of the game. You had a team that gave up a questionable penalty kick call. It could have gone either way. VAR's involved. Maybe that's a different story. You have a team whose uh, opposing goalkeeper goes out at halftime and is a factor in any own goal he creates himself, he puts in himself. And then you also have a team that creates not one, but a few mistakes. Uh, Miles Robinson playing that square ball and going right back down your throat. If it's not Brian Reese, if it's maybe Moya or somebody else, that's a goal against. So that said, playing at home in this unbelievable crowd, this unbelievable atmosphere and these mistakes, I think this was a great performance for the U.S. men's national team, but we should put things in context. So I'm going to give it a B. Great, resilient performance, and I love the reaction, especially going down a goal, but it's a B. It's a home win. Yes. Right, which is pretty good. I can't give it an A. I'm with you on most of those points. I'm going to give it a little bit uh, better grade. The mistakes, you're right. There were some big mistakes. They don't get punished on Miles Robinson. I don't know how if it's the same level of mistake. I don't think it is. But Sergio Dest keeping everybody on side on the first that's goal when he's one. off the field. That's, that's a, a tough one because yeah. he's finishing the play. But yeah. um, but I think you look at it as something that maybe Dest will look back and say uh, he wanted back. There are mistakes. There's another slow start here, Herc, uh, and that's something that we continue to see with this team. I don't think this one is down to the lineup or who's on the field um, in, in terms of like over-rotation. They're not familiar with each other. They're not good enough. This was your best team you had, uh, and they yeah. still at home was a slow start. But it's a young team, the youngest 11 we've ever seen for the United States in World Cup qualifying. They went behind against a really veteran team uh, and really came back. Really veteran so for team. That, I'm, <laughs> yes, the over 35s. I'm going to give them a B plus. I'm going to be a little bit uh, more generous. Here's a look at the 11. There were nine changes, Herc, from the game against Panama uh, to the game on Wednesday night against Costa Rica. Chris Richards gets his competitive debut at the back. We go back to the popular midfield trio, McKenney, Musa, Adams. Uh, up top, you got Brendan Aronson, Pepe, and Tim Weah, though Tim Weah, uh, a late insertion when Paul Ariola get hurt yep. uh, in the warm-up. But the big story there is, is Zach Steffen uh, going in over Matt Turner. Her, uh, was it the right call for Greg Berhalter? 
this is the problem. It wasn't the right call, not because of Zach Steffen's level, mm. Zach Steffen's play in this certain game, but he's creating his own goalkeeper controversy. If when when Ethan Horvat stops that penalty kick against Mexico and it's a walk-off penalty kick win, you know, and everybody's excited, everybody's happy. Yeah, we said, hey, maybe we should look at Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvat, but you didn't hand Horvat that number one. Matt Turner has a very good gold cup. When you use an alternate squad, still a gold cup, very good one, and you say, here it is. This is all yours. And you leave the door open for him. To Matt Turner's credit, he blows the door open. So when you go back to Zach Steffen, and this was so obvious because it's Columbus, so obvious mm. because of Zach Steffen. When you go back there, Matt Turner should be thinking to himself, what did I do? Was my plane out of the back with my feet not good versus Panama? Did I do something wrong? He starts second guessing himself. Zach Steffen starts guessing himself. Zach Steffen gives up this goal versus Costa Rica. Now that's mm -hmm. going to be in his mind. That's going to be in Turner's mind. Now you don't think that was down to Russ? Second game in 66 no, days, I, I, first I, I in 21? Think, I think that's down to misfortune because it's one of those plays where Serginho Des is keeping the guy onside. The ball comes right back to you. There's a player, Moya, who's in front of you. I think he's distracted by Moya. I, I'll let that one slide. It's very circumstantial. But Greg Berhalter is creating a controversy when there didn't need to be one. And if there's one player, one situation where you don't want a controversy, where you don't want somebody doubting themselves, it's the goalkeeper position. Do, is, it, is it really that important? Like, does the rest of the team care? Will there be a, a Turner group and a Stefan group? Or, or no. is this something that could really impact no, the, I, I the team, think, like a quarterback controversy no, in the NFL? No, I don't think it affects the locker room. I think it affects those two guys. And that's the mm. most important thing. Because no matter who you put in, now he's under pressure. Now yeah. I can't make a mistake. Now I gotta act this way. Now I gotta play this way. Now they're always watching me. Everything you do will be scrutinized, will be analyzed. It's a difficult situation for a goalkeeper to be in. If we're just looking for like the reason why though, it, it can't be form. Cause I don't think you can point to Matt Turner's form and you definitely cannot point to Zach Steffen's form. There is no form, it doesn't exist. You know, he doesn't have tape in the last four months. So, so you can't say that he gets a start uh, because of that. Any chance he, he earned the number one job back? In this game? Because I'm thinking about Mexico. It's, it's going to be Turner, right? Uh, I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Zach, Zach Steffen is not going to play a lot between now and then. Yeah, I don't know. That's, it, this is the controversy now that Greg Berhalter has created for himself, and, and this is a problem. Uh, if you ask Matt Turner if he's going to be the number one, do you think he's going to say, yeah, I'm the number one? you think he feels certain about that? I don't, I don't think so. This is a little bit more than, than people are leading on. Zach Steffen, the oldest player in the starting lineup uh, on Wednesday night at the, at the old, old, advanced age of 26. Mm. The average age, Herc, on this team, 22 years and 229 days. As I mentioned, uh, the youngest starting 11 ever for the United States in a World Cup qualifier. Is that little fact nugget, is it something, is it nothing, or is it indeed everything? It's, it's something. I'd love to say it's everything, but that's not mm -hmm. going to be a guarantee of success. It's not nothing because you just don't tout a, a young lineup if they're not talented players, if the ceiling isn't high. But how many times have we seen talent at such a young age not flourish, not fulfill its potential? So I'm going to say this is something. You look at the players like, these are debutantes in a World Cup qualifier. Chris Richards, Matthew Coppi, Gianluca Buzio. For, for the most part, that Richards was solid. You could say PK or not. That's not up to us to discuss anymore because there is 
no VAR, so it did not matter. Gianluca Buzio, I thought was very good when he came on. Matthew Coppi, I think, has a different type of mentality, and I want to see him more. I want to see more of him every time I watch him play. But this is a good thing going forward. But it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. All it is is a very young team. It can't be nothing, Herker. All right. of your cliches on this show are, are worthless. You talk international international football. It's a young man's game. Tournament football, uh, it's a young man's game. Certainly it has to be something. Um, because it can't be everything either. Uh, it's neither the youngest team that the U.S. could have. You'd have to have Gio Reyna in there, right? Right. And it's not the best team that the U.S. could have because you'd have to have Christian Pulisic in that. And so if I, think yeah. about these, if I think about these young guys, Herc, a lot of them played really well. Yeah. But I wonder what's going to happen to him when Polisic and Reyna comes back. What's going to happen to a Eunice Musa? Can you take him out? What's going to happen to a Brendan Aronson? Can you take him out? Because those guys, I would think, over this window, prove that they deserve if not starting minutes, a lot of minutes. You know how I feel about Brendan Aronson. It's going to be very difficult to take him out. He's my starter right now. Mm -hmm. I even said Gio Reyna in that uh, number eight, the dual eight uh, spot, and it's Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, Tyler Adams. After Ooh. Eunice Moose's play this window, after Eunice Moose's play this window, I'm thinking the odd man out may be Weston McKinney. Eunice Moose wow. was just so good on the ball. He was such a force. He's so clean. He drives with the ball. He's got, he's got things like Darlington, but with mm. more in product at such a young age. And, and I'm not trying to disrespect Darlington, but Darlington's a player who doesn't want to play for the U.S. Men's National Team, but he's got things that he does when he drives with the ball and he's so clean on it that I see Eunice do. And Eunice is doing it at 18 years old, and he's in Valencia, in La Liga. It, it's a good problem to have. Mm. I'm interested that you said McKinney would be the guy to drop out. Is that based on the recent performances? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You know, I, I thought he overcomplicated himself in the first game, in the first uh, game against Jamaica. He tried too much, and it's normal, right? You create an air. It's a very public air, public mistake. You want to vindicate yourself with not only the fans but your teammates, so you try a little too much. Weston was trying a little too much. In the second half versus Jamaica, he got better. This go-around uh, versus Costa Rica, I, I felt the same. I felt Weston wasn't at his sharpest when he had to move the ball side to side. He was doing his best, trying to get in the box, trying to be that connect. Mm. but it, it was just a very so-so game from Weston by his standards. The starter up top, Ricardo Pepe, who got the start, Herc, but didn't score. Oh, my goodness. We are in a full-on Pepe drought. Uh, what would you rate his performance on Wednesday night against Costa Rica? Got 87 minutes subbed off for Giassi Zardes. When, by the way, the crew fans gave Zardes an amazing ovation. Yeah, well, he plays there. He plays at Columbus. Uh, this was about the only miss I saw from Ricardo Pepe. This is one that you probably bank on Ricardo Pepe. He scored one from the left side, one from the right side. Exact same play in previous World Cup qualifiers. He's got that quality about him. You would have bet it's a B plus because he did everything but score. Look at his tidy link up play. He's getting softer feet by the game. He's getting more intuitive in the box, in his runs, in the way he comes back for the ball and he supports his teammates. We're seeing more of an all-around game from Pepe flourish before, before our very eyes. It's still very early. He's 18 years of age. He's got a lot to learn. He's so raw, but you can see that rawness. You can see him being molded as we, as we speak, as we watch every single game. So I'm excited for Pepe. I thought he had everything but the goal. Assuming no injuries, assuming everybody is available, is Pepe your starter versus Mexico on November 12th? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and factor in the motivational factor for Ricardo Pepe. Uh, that should be a boyhood dream for him. Yeah, he, he's the starter.
Can you imagine Ricardo Pepe starting against Mexico? Uh, what a storyline that would be heading into that game. Let's run it back. It's rare that we get the uh, the video rights to these games, but it was on ESPN last night, so so let's take advantage of it. The Rabona from Serginho Des. This somewhere actually in the buildup to the American second goal. Yeah, use your left foot. No, I'm okay. <laughs> Look at the tour. It's the Serginho tour. <laughs> And uh, we might have Serginho Des versus Yunus Musa on Sunday as FC Barcelona and Valencia uh, square off 3 p.m. Eastern time. That is, of course, a game that you can see on ESPN+. All right, Hurricane Case, you missed it. We're both from Columbus. It's nice to see Columbus turning into a city more than a college town. That's awesome. We don't have opportunities like this in Columbus a lot. Um, we've got Ohio State, but that's, you know, we don't have any professional teams here, so we don't have any professional teams. We don't have any professional teams here. We don't have any professional teams here, so. Hercules Gomez, just minutes after I'm finished singing Columbus's praises, we see a couple folks on the local news that don't know that the, that the stadium that they just watched a game in happens to house a professional team in the sport that they just watched. Uh, what'd you think? <laughs> what do you mean? What? I thought it was a bit. Honestly, I thought it was a bit. There's no way you go to that stadium with crew colors everywhere, uh, crew legends like Ali Moreno plastered all over the place. You don't know the crew exists. You, you, you trying to tell me you didn't recognize Ali Moreno's face? <laughs> <laughs> this is blasphemous. Hey, seriously, though, um, you know, it was against Costa Rica. And, of course, when you, when you think about Costa Rica home matches, you have to think of the last one, 2017, Red Bull Arena in New Jersey. There was a huge Costa Rican contingent there. And especially when the game turned in the second half, you felt like that was a, a Costa Rica home game. Yeah. The, the team kind of used it as an excuse. The Federation took a lot of criticism for, for picking that venue. They've clearly tried to pick better venues more friendly to the United States venues this time around. We've seen them in Nashville, Austin, Columbus. Do you think U.S. soccer has fixed their venue issue? Yeah. For the most part, I mean, it remains to be seen because the one game that really matters is mm -hmm. Mexico. And the they one took game it, you'll get tested. The one yeah. game you'll get tested, and you took it out of Columbus. You took it out of the tried and trusted Columbus. We'll see how Cincinnati reacts. Listen, I was one of the guys that said I didn't mind it. And as time goes on, as you see what Columbus has meant to U.S. soccer, mm -hmm. you start, or at least I start second-guessing that. Uh, we will see what Cincinnati brings. It's up to the people of Cincinnati. It's up to, to the U.S. men's national team fans. It's up to that team to perform for those said fans. And we'll see when Mexico comes in town how Cincinnati responds. But for the most part right now, yes, I love that it's not a one-stadium situation mm. when it comes to the national team. I love like you look any other stadium, San Jose with Costa Rica, whether it's Mexico City with Mexican national team, you know, it's Kingston with Jamaica. I love that they spread the wealth around. Yeah, so I've been at two, Herc, of these three games. I wasn't at the game in Nashville, but I don't think you could say that the Canadian players were particularly intimidated by that, right? They came out and played very well in Nashville. So um, maybe not the most intimidating atmosphere there. Austin was loud and was like 90-10 U.S. Jamaica. But there were lulls in that game. And this is where I'm going with Columbus. There's something to be said for experience hosting. Uh, the Columbus crowd not only didn't lull, but they could have gone quiet 
when Costa Rica scores in the first minute. Not only did they not go quiet in Columbus, they got louder in the second minute. They got louder in the third minute. They knew, Herc, that the team needed something. And so I think uh, when we look at these venues, we got to kind of grade them individually. Uh, I'm not saying Austin was bad or Nashville was bad. No, I heard it. You but, said it was but bad. Col- Columbus was an A-plus, my man. Columbus was an A-plus. But we know the next game will be in Cincinnati, November 12th, Herc, against Mexico. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Speaking of Mexico, Herc, how about the reception they got down in El Salvador? This is outside the team hotel on Tuesday night ahead of the World Cup qualifier on Wednesday. Some might call this classic CONCACAF, Herc. I would call it vintage. <laughs> vintage indeed. Who hasn't enjoyed a good serenata by our fellow, well, everybody, honestly. It doesn't matter where you are. We've seen this in the Champions League. Didn't we see this in PSG? Didn't PSG have a game like this and something like that happened the night before? I wonder if it actually bothers the players. Like, it sounds really loud. It would annoy me not to be able to sleep the day before a big game. But then you see how close they are to the hotel, and you wonder if the players even hear it, right? So I've had this happen a couple times. You don't even hear it. Oftentimes, Mm. you're way in the back, on the backside of the hotel. Nothing happens. I'll show. All that for nothing, then. The game itself. How about that? Uh, Mexico making eight changes, Herc, from the team that beat Honduras on Sunday. The three holdovers, Hector Moreno, Memo Ochoa, Chucky Lozano. And it was actually Hector Moreno, of all people, uh, who scores in the 30th minute from a corner kick. Mexico would double their lead in the 93rd minute on a penalty kick converted by none other than Raul Jimenez. His first goal for Mexico since that injury in November of 2020. El Salvador had a man sent off in the 48th minute. Mexico had a man sent off in the 67th, Nestor Araujo, so he'll miss the game against the United States. In the end, Mexico wins 2-0. Here's Tata Martino post-game on Raul Jiménez. Ya tenerlo con nosotros y verlo jugar y disputar cada pelota y hacerlo de la manera que lo hace, con, con la intensidad que lo hace, bueno. Eh, nosotros... Queríamos que los delanteros nuestros hagan goles, darle que tengan confianza, creo que de eso se alimentan ellos. Nosotros en lo que llevamos de eliminatoria ha hecho goles Tecatito, ha hecho goles Irving, ha hecho goles Henry, ha hecho goles Raúl, Rogelio, eh, Alexis. Así que para nosotros es muy importante que que los delanteros estén efectivos de cara al gol. Y obviamente estamos muy contentos de que Raúl haya podido volver a anotar con la camiseta de la selección. So through six games then, Mexico, four wins, two draws, zero losses, and most importantly right now, top of that CONCACAF table. Of course, Raul Jimenez getting on the score sheet for the national team for the first time since 2020 and that very, very scary injury, Herc against Arsenal. So let's ask this question. Is Raul Jimenez the most important player to the future of the Mexican national team? And when we say important, we acknowledge 
It's the word important. It's not necessarily best. So if you're a U.S. men's national team fan, think the difference in the conversations we've been having around Tyler Adams, yep. most important, but probably Christian Pulisic best or poster boy or however poster you want to yeah. kind of title Both. it. So yeah. most important. Is Raul Jimenez that guy from Mexico right now, Herc? Man, if you would ask this question about a year ago, I would have said without a doubt he's the most mm. important. His goals, his assists, uh, his overall play at club level, where he stands in the world's ranking amongst the world's best. Uh, but today with this national team, today with what you have, Chucky Lozano, I wouldn't even say it's Chucky Lozano. I would go, and I need you to bear with me. <laughs> it's Edson Alvarez. He is the most important player for El Tri. Now, I understand the shock. You gotta explain that. You gotta I will explain, explain that. I understand the shock of your face. Raul Jimenez, splendid player. A year ago, you may not have needed him so much because you had Chucky Lozano as well. Today, you need Edson Alvarez more than you need those two players. Mm. You've got other players who can help you on the offensive side, but you've got very little players who can help you out when it comes to covering the center back options you have, the slow center back options you have, when it comes to covering ground and being there and being that outlet and being that support system for a aging Andres Guardado. He's got one of the most difficult jobs in all of CONCACAF right now, and he may be the most important piece for Tata Martino. This is why we always see him every single game. The constants is Edson Alvarez. Wow, so I thought if you were not going to go with Raul Jimenez, you would have gone with somebody uh, yeah. like a Chucky Lozano. You could, you could probably mention Hector Herrera in there, a huge player yeah. uh, who could be very important to this team. For me, and I made this point before on this show, it has to be Raul Jimenez because of the position that he plays. Not only is, is finishing, is being clinical, a weakness for this Mexican team, but let's be honest, Herc, like we, we spend a lot of time talking tactics, talking storylines. This game comes down yeah, to weakness. who scores the goals, to who scores the goals, who takes their chances, especially where Mexico wants to go. And it's not just getting out of CONCACAF, Herc. You know it's getting to that quinto partido. And I don't care how far back you want to go in this streak since 1994 of Mexico not being able to get to the fifth game. They have not had a world-class striker in any of those teams. Whoa, now, whoa, whoa, on whoa, this whoa, show, whoa. on Whoa, who? do not Who? disrespect Javier Hernandez like that. He's the closest they've had to a world-class striker in a World Cup in recent memory. 2010, yes. 2014, yes. You had to. Oribe Peralta, he was even there. Been... Raul Jimenez was part of that team, if you don't oh recall. Oh, my goodness. Okay? Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. Alan Pulido. What am I talking about? Alan Pulido was there. <laughs> Chicharito in 2010 was just, I mean, just, just arriving at Manchester United. He was not elite in the world at then. And in 2014, you know where Chicharito was at Manchester United? He was on the bench for he David Moyes. He was the Moyes. third leading goal scorer of the last decade at Manchester so, United. You're correct. So he, is, he was not elite at that point. Not where Raul Jimenez was before this injury. Now, the caveat there is Raul Jimenez is not back to the player that he was before this injury. Yeah. But if he is, he's the player that single-handedly can get Mexico to that fifth game, who can take your ceiling from Fine. round of 16 Fine. to quarterfinal, quinto partido, and beyond. But I need you to put some respect on Javier Hernandez's name. Not since Hugo Sanchez have they had an elite striker like Javier Hernandez, okay? Don't, don't, don't put those two in the same. And by the way, the last time they did have an elite striker, it was Hugo Sanchez, it was 86. And where did they end up? In el quinto partido. <laughs> there you go. There were 16 okay. teams, Sab. Don't say Quinto Partido for 16 teams. All right, you and I can... No, no, it was a round of eight. You don't know your history, but that's okay. Um, why don't we bring in somebody who does know their history? Donio Valle, who on. joins us from <laughs> Mexico to help us uh, break up this debate. All right, uh, Donio, before we get to three questions, because we got three questions for yes. you, uh, who is right okay. in the debate over who is Mexico's most important player, and why is it me? 
You're, you're the most None of you player. are correct. None <laughs> of you. Actually, I'm very surprised. Not as surprised as when Hercules said Edson Alvarez. I really can't believe he went with Edson Alvarez. I mean, I know he likes having hot takes, but no. I wasn't expecting him to be like so. Uh, I didn't expect him to go that way. You can't say Edson Alvarez, Herc. You really can't go that way. You have to go with Chucky Lozano. And Chucky Lozano is the most important player and is also the poster boy for uh, Tata Martino's team. There's no other answer. It's Chucky Lozano. It has to be that way. The crowd loves him. The, everybody's identified with him. The, he has his own song. He's the only player in the Mexican national team that has his own song. That's talking about being the poster boy. But after that, you're talking about Sebas taking Mexico to the next level. The player that can have the ball right next to the uh, uh, defender, take him away, get in front of goal, and actually score can be Chucky Lozano. The player that can also uh, try to complement himself with Raul Jimenez is Chucky, Chucky Lozano. When you see Raul Jimenez at Wolverhampton dropping some steps back, putting some balls into space, you know who's going to take advantage of those plays? Mm -hmm. Chucky Lozano. Chucky Lozano is Mexico's most important and is Mexico's best player. Okay, Chucky Lozano, before this last game he scored, last time was May 29th of this year that he scored a friendly versus Iceland. Before that, it was yeah. 2019. So let's backtrack on the importance of the goals of Chucky Lozano, but that's fire. Go ahead. Okay. okay. All right, okay. we'll, we'll leave. We'll leave that discussion then uh, for another time. Let's move on to the rest of the uh, three questions here because we got plenty to get through. Uh, let's go from the front to the back, why don't we? Uh, because we talked a lot about Mexico's center backs at the beginning of this window. So, Tonio, who is Mexico's best center back pairing? You can, you can count Nestor Araujo for now, though we know he won't be available yeah. for the game against the United States on November 12th. Yeah, and he won't be available for me either after he does the things he did last night. I mean, after what he did, I don't think he'll be, at least not in my opinion, between the best uh, center backs Mexico has. Cesar Montes, no, Cachorro has to be number one at this moment. And I'm going to pair him up with some experience. It's, mm. He's not having his best years. He hasn't been having his best months. But I'm going to go with Hector Moreno with Cesar Montes. Besides, they can play together at Monterrey. They can train together at Monterrey every single day. And I'm thinking that's got to help Tata when he makes his decision. Whew, that's awfully tempting, awfully enticing to put in two teammates, uh, but Hector Moreno can't get off the bench right now for Monterrey. Hector Moreno has to be injury prone. He's 34 years of age. He was the best center back that Mexico had in the last decade. Was, okay? And this is a, this is a, a player that played with Rafa Marquez, and I'm still including him as the best center back of the last decade. Here's the problem. He's a little long in the tooth, and it's Cesar Montes right now, and one yes. other. And mm -hmm. the other one right now, by subtraction, by elimination, by default, has to be Nestor Araujo. I'm going through the really? list, and Johan Vasquez can't get a game at Genoa, and he can't get a game from Tata Martino. You're hey. saying Nestor after what he did yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah by default. Because look, Johan can't get a game, club or country. And, and was it going to be Cata Dominguez? No, thank you. What are you going to no. bring back? Carlos Salcedo, who's banned? No. So it's going to be Nestor Araujo. It's going to be Araujo all day with Cesar Montes, because I don't think Hector Moreno can stay healthy enough, long enough. Well, look, against the United States, that's not going to be an option. You're not going to have Nestor Araujo. So just thinking about that, let's think about what the options would be. When we did our top five center backs, I went very young. I went Cesar Montes and Johan Vasquez. You're right. He hasn't broken in at Serie A. I think that's somewhat circumstantial, right? But you need somebody who's playing. Really? I'm kind of I'm with Tonio here. 
Uh, yes, I mean he he gets there late. He gets there late in in, in the preseason. Okay. Talk he about, picks up an talk injury. Talk about that, that so, situation with him. What with Johan Vasquez? Yeah, Cata, Cata Dominguez is playing over him. Okay, I mean, no, okay. he's playing over him as a, as a right back right now. Oh, he's been he's and he was playing him as, as a center, center back, back as well. If they go three in the back, Johan right, Vasquez look, can't get in the lineup. Yeah, for now, we're talking about November 12th when you don't have Nestor Araujo. You're going to need another option. I would still go with Hector Moreno. I think that's a fine, yes. a fine choice. Yes. He's left. Montes is right. That's good. What about, Tonyo, and you might be able to give us some insight into this from down in Mexico. What about somebody that's not in the list right now? What about a guy like Carlos Salcedo? Has there been any, any no. hopes of, like, healing there? No? No, I don't think so, because if you heal Carlos Salcedo, then you probably have to heal with Chicharito, and then you have to start getting into other problems with Arteaga. So I don't think he's going to go open up that can of worms right now, Seb. I don't think Carlos Salcedo is going to come back to the national team anytime soon. All right, let's push on to our next question then, uh, and let's see if we're pushing out Andres Guardado from the starting lineup. Because I think if, if we talk about Mexico's midfield, it's pretty much a lock, right? If Edson, if Edson Alvarez is healthy and Hector Herrera is healthy, then, you know, those guys are going to be in the starting lineup. That third spot is really what's up for grabs, and you got a lot of options. Um, one, Tonio, are you ready to take Andres Guardado out? And if so, who are you putting in to replace him? I wouldn't want to take him out, but I don't think he's fit to be playing every game. He had a great game against Costa Rica, for example, but then he didn't have a great game against Canada. So I'm going to go with Orbelin Pineda. We're always talking about this team needing someone who creates in the midfield, someone who takes the ball to the other side of the field, someone that can think in tight spaces. I think Orbelin Pineda is that player. We tend to think about the person replacing Andres Guardado having a lot of sacrifice, and I'm not saying Orbelin doesn't have it but I do think Mexico needs close to its forwards someone that can change the game a little bit and I think mm. of all the options that Tata has Orbelin is the best one that's the thing right you almost want to put a playmaker in that position but they don't really play with the playmaker we've seen Linus as that interior on the right a couple times under Tata Martino but that's not really who they are it's Guardado and it's the other two HH and then Edson so who could be that versatile player with the legs with that deep playing ability to suffice on both sides of the ball. It's Luis Romo. It's the man of the mm. moment. It's the MVP in Liga MX. You talk about a player who can play multiple roles, multiple facets in a game. He could even, if you change up the scheme, be in a three-center-back system where you can go into the midfield and participate. And the best thing about him is he's got that two-way game about him. The ability to create. He was leading assist man in Mexico. And the ability to have some bite in the midfield and those legs. Andres Guardado right now can't provide that 90-minute day-in, day-out uh, sustainability like uh, my buddy here is talking about. I'm looking at the roster and kind of the current options. Romo, Pineda, Sebastián Córdoba, Jonathan Santos is in there. I guess you could throw him, yeah, Charlie no. Rodriguez. Um, Diego Line is not there, but I, I see him more as a, as a wide player, but maybe you could, yeah. you could throw him in, uh, as you guys mentioned. If you want young legs, which if, if you're going to get Guardado out of there, in theory you want to get younger, you want to get more athletic, the, the two obvious answers there are Charlie and Sebastián Córdoba. But I don't think they've earned it on performance. If I'm going on performance, it's got to be either Orbelin or Luis Romo. And to me, consistently, consistency, just that edge, I go Romo. The other reason I would go him is if you've got him and Edson protecting that, that back line, which we just talked about, huge weakness for this yeah. team. 
I might feel a little bit better. If Orbelin's the other guy there, you don't have the, the chance for a double six if you need to protect late in the game. So just thinking about the weaknesses of the rest of the Mexico 11, for me, it's Luis Romo. But to Tonio's point, I don't think you make a bad choice with Orbelin Pineda. What he brings you is very different uh, and could very much benefit this team as well. All right, final question here. Is Mexico the deepest team in CONCACAF? And, and let's give some context here because over the summer on some show somewhere on ESPN Plus, there was a guy talking about the U.S. men's national team's alleged C team beating Mexico's <laughs> alleged A team Correct. in the Gold Cup final. So who is now truly the deepest team in CONCACAF? Tonya, you first. Is that guy still saying that uh, the U.S. C team beat Mexico's A team? Because I'm still trying might, to find I might even a say B it's team a worse the team than the C I mean, team I'm now. I'm still trying to find the B team. If that's the C team, I'm still trying to find the B team. Right? Gracias, if gracias. anybody finds what it, that, please, <laughs> please let me know because it's been months since I've been Googling it and I, I just can't that's find it. That's your problem. No, Don't look at Google. No, I, I can't find it. I can't find it. There's no B team. You, you have a, a, an A team and you have a C team, but I don't find a B team okay. in the middle. But okay, I want to talk about this one. No, I don't think Mexico is the deepest team because we have we have so much problem trying to find those center backs. I don't think Mexico has, for example, uh, I don't know, if Jorge Sanchez may be the starting right back. I'm not completely sure he is. And when Chaka Rodriguez plays in that position, I'm not completely sure he is. So I don't think Mexico is that deep. Sometimes, especially being here in Mexico, we tend to think that we have like this great team and we got players to throw around. And if one's not available, it doesn't matter. One will grow out from the ground and we'll use him. I don't think it's that way. No, I don't, I don't really think Mexico is the deepest team in CONCACAF. If mm. we go this transfer, or I'm sorry, this FIFA fixture window, Mexico has a deeper squad because they just walked into Cuscatlan, El Salvador, and got a result with the Liga Mekis All-Stars. That's what it was, and that's the result they got. It shows the depth of this team. But I'm going to go addition by subtraction. Let me tell you who's not here for the U.S. men's national team. Joe Scali plays go. at Gladbach. Josh Sargent plays in the Premier League. Jordan Pivak scoring goals against Manchester United in Champions League. John Brooks, Julian Green, Ethan Horvat, Daryl Dike, Conrad mm. De La Fuente. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention Giovanni Reina and Christian Pulisic. You talk about the B team. I, I just gave you a plethora of players. Add whatever you yeah, those want. Those are B team. Let's not confuse names with depth, but I do feel in this department, at least the U.S. men's national team's pool is a little stronger. All that depth to get five points in the first window, six points there in the is. second. And there then what happened? What you happened can win with the C team, oh, I you, you can Sam. win with the C team, so that, there, there that has Kirk happy. Yeah. What happened to Mexico? They got seven points in the first window without Raul Jimenez, without Chucky Lozano. So, you want to talk about who they so were missing? Without Hector listen. Herrera, without Diego Linus, with Tecatito missing a game. So you want to talk Do about you that, that depth? That's right there. I said if you count this FIFA fixture window, it's Mexico. There you go. And as you said, they proved it, taking their B team with eight changes and winning in El Salvador. And what Why happened to the U.S. B team with seven changes? What happened in Panama? There you go. So don't make an argument if you can't back it up. What do you mean? Don't make a half-hearted argument You're here on Football Americas. me. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Antonio, uh, thanks so much for the time, man. You can see him on SportsCenter, on ESPN Deportes, like literally every day of the week. My man never stops working. Uh, and he also calls games. Liga Mekis, one of their matches on ESPN Plus, ESPN Deportes on Saturday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Should be a good one. Realos against Leon. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. 
But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Let's keep moving around. CONCACAF then Canada in Toronto. Big 4-1 winners over Panama. It was 1-1 this game until the 66th minute. That's when Alfonso Davies scored five minutes after that. Tejan Buchanan, seven minutes after that. Jonathan David, literally a parade of Canada's young talent. Tell me I'm crazy. Tell me I'm crazy. And Jonathan Herdman uh, isn't John Herdman isn't the best coach right now in CONCACAF. He didn't eat Tata Martino and Greg Berhalter's lunch. And Alfonso Davies, the best player in all the region. The best coach in CONCACAF. Look at you going all in. There is no team punching above its weight right now like Canada. Canada got a result against the U.S. In the U.S., a result against Mexico in Azteca. I'm telling you, no team is punching above their weight like Canada. It says a lot about Canada, this result. I also wonder what it tells us uh, about Panama. That's a pretty significant defeat to take, and they really did fall apart uh, late, giving this one away. How about this, Herc? How big of a deal is this in Canada? Drake's getting involved. He wanted to hang out with the the guys. They were at uh, Soto Soto, a club that I know you frequented uh, quite a bit during your time in Toronto. No comment on that. Uh, Big comment on, do not let Drake put this jersey on. let Drake put the jersey on. You believe on. in the Drake curse? Come on, get I out of here. That's believe. super Get Deja Buchanan away from Drake. Get, get Alfonso. Get Fonzie away from Drake. Please, ASAP. We'll keep an eye on everybody's uh, health around the Canadian team uh, and the team's progression through qualifying. See if the Drake curse is still alive. Honduras, Jamaica. The last two teams in the table. How about this, Her Jamaica winning away in Honduras 2-0 on 37% possession. Fabian Coito, the manager of Honduras, out after this game. The goals for Jamaica from Kamar Roof and your your boy, your former teammate, O'Neal Fisher. Go ahead, fish. Go ahead, my fish, man. Uh, that's three home games now that they've had. Two losses, only one goal scored. They've only scored two goals the whole campaign, 10 against. Uh, did you mention that Coito was fired? Yeah. Okay, he was fired twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, we all kind of knew about it before the game, uh, and then it was uh, confirmed for sure afterwards. By the way, speaking of, uh, of managers on the hot seat, Theodore Whitmore there might have saved his job with that win. That's a, a huge victory for Jamaica as it pulls him out of last place and within three points of one of those coveted spots, Herc, in the top four. And of course, the U.S. and Mexico on ESPN2, November 12th. That game also will be streaming on ESPN+. Plus. We will be there in Cincinnati, Ohio, ready to bring it to you all. Hercules Gomez, you and I have been fortunate enough to travel not just around this country, but around this world together. Uh, one of my favorite trips, though, I remember, uh, 2018, a trip to Nashville for USA-Mexico friendly. You remember it? I do remember it. 2018, U.S. men's national team, a very young mm-hmm. U.S. men's national team versus a very young Eltry in Nashville. A few promising uh, young players coming up. Do you remember who scored yeah. that day? Uh, I do remember. Tyler, was it Tyler Adams? Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams there with your, uh, your game winner uh, for the U.S. That was one of the moments of the match, but probably the bigger moment of the match was a little back and forth between Matt Miazga and Diego Linus. Now, you got, you remember, we interviewed Matt Miazga on this show a couple weeks ago. Uh, well, it came up, and our awesome editors here at Football Americas have turned it into the latest edition of Tales from the Pitch. Enjoy. 
On today's Tales from the Pitch, we head back in time, September 11th, 2018, the Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, for another great moment in USA versus Mexico history. Diego Lainez versus Matt Miazga. With the two powerhouses, we know that they're a good team and they know that we're a good team. When you when you go up and play against each other, there's always going to be that tension where, okay, we need to get the better of them and they need to get the better of us. So we all want to prove, you know, who's the superior in CONCACAF. Football trash talk happens. I've been known in the past to 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 let it loose a bit. Um, I don't know if it's that's where I'm from. I'm, Jer I'm, I'm born and bred Jersey, so it kind of is just within me. During that moment, I remember, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think there was a foul. Kind of stared down to each other. At the moment, you know, obviously I did a gesture that, you know, when you look back, it was, you know, I'm more mature now, it's a bit immature. I mean, this is US Mexico. I don't care if it's a friendly. Mm. Roll your sleeves up and dig in. I remember when I was doing, I remember when the whole situation was coming about, I was like, oh snap, I gotta, I'm, I was in yellow. So I was like, I gotta be smarter here. What am I doing? And I kind of started walking away because if things escalated even further, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been good. And at the end of the day, I remember we won the game. I think, I think they got a red card right after that. So I'm aware that it will probably be played for a long time because it was a moment where there was, you know, tension and, and kind of, uh, you know, some flair and things of things of that nature involved. So, you know, people like that kind of thing sometimes, you know, when there's, you know, something out of the ordinary and there's a big, big melee and things of that nature. When that did happen, the next day we were flying out from Nashville and going, you know, to our clubs. I, was, I think I was in France at the time, so I was flying out to France. And I got to the airport and I was checking in. I remember there was like four or five, uh, fans they had Mexico jerseys and they're all behind me and I'm thinking oh man they're probably gonna be like well, yo why'd you do that to our player blah blah they come up to me and they're like hey can we get a picture like you know blah 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 and I was like oh of course like yeah no worries sometimes you know trash talk can get the best of you and, and things happen in games but there's there's never disrespect what happens in the game stays in the game off the pitch whenever anything happens you shake hands like men you respect the player you respect everyone and you know, good game, and you know, see you, see you around in the next game or wherever I see you next. So, Matt Miazga there, uh, looking back on the past with a critical eye. Why don't we do the same, oh, Mark? Uh, because I tweeted this uh, during the match. I was working the game as the sideline reporter. Not surprised it was a U.S. men's national team player who made a short joke on a soccer field. Obsession with height and size in coaching circles in this country is absurd. Some kids in the U.S. actually grow up thinking they have an advantage in soccer because they're tall. Imagine that, Herc. So what do you think? Should I take it back? Yes, yeah, Sebi, do you take this back, Sebi? You got a lot of heat in the moment from your colleagues, from fans, from people here. Do you take back your tweet? Mm. You know, like Matt Miazga said, Herc, I, um, I was younger then. I wasn't quite as mature. 
Uh, I will admit to a couple things on the tweet. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take it back. Okay. We, all, we all grow. That's big of you. The, about the only is. big thing. There, there it is. There it is. And so I think we have to acknowledge this is definitely me being a short guy projecting, right? When I saw oh, come when on. I saw Miazga do that to Linus, I, I felt that on a, on a personal He's level. Also, Linus is also one of your like preferred players. Came up in your team. This is a player for a lot of people that mm -hmm. is supposed to be the next big thing. So yep. when you see the next big thing in a very highly contested and heated rivalry game like Mexico versus the mm -hmm. U.S. men's national team, you get in that, you, you get in that papel, you, you take on that role as well. So yeah. I, I don't blame you. It was funny in the moment. You got a lot of heat for it. Uh, but did. I'm glad that you got to talk to Matt Miazga and you both sorted your issues out together. <laughs> um, as a sideline reporter too, you know, it's such a conflict for me when USA and Mexico play. I think that, that probably played into it as well. I do want to say something though. The, there was something about that tweet that was right. I, I do think as somebody who's played in, coached, there is some, and it's changing, sure. obsession with size in this country. And we see it, you know, less and less and less, but filter up to the national team. I will say this to her. Of all the tweets I've ever sent out, the most liked tweet, that one. Almost 3,000 likes. Now, maybe people were liking it to go back to it so later and club me for it. your birthday, do you get more likes then? <laughs> <laughs> Not even um, on my birthday. So there you have it. I, I, I apologize um, for my tweet. And we'll get a rematch. Maybe we'll get a rematch. Maybe we'll get a rematch. Uh, Alaves featuring Miazga against Betis. Potentially featuring Diego Lainez Monday on ESPN+. Plus. We can get all your La Liga actions at 12.50 p.m. Eastern time start. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. At the end of the Carly Lloyd era is near. She's going to be part of this team's history, part of its past. Pew Weldon Buck. Carly Lloyd! Carly Lloyd! Carly Lloyd! Done across the bell. Knocking in a fin. She just can't miss. That was fun. Um... I don't know, I'm just trying to savor it because I want time to go a little bit slower because one, one game is down and I have three left. Katarina Macario, here we go, Sophia Smith! First international goal! Still in play, Lloyd in front, Carly Lloyd! U.S. Women's National Team Merck has dropped its latest roster ahead of a couple friendlies against South Korea next week. A listener, Sam Mewis, Julia, it's in camp but will not play. They continue to recover from injury. Kristen Press and Crystal Dunn both opting out of the matches. These will be the last couple games um, for Carly Lloyd. For me, Herc, the big news is Megan Rapino is back. She is 36. She will be 38 at the time of the next World Cup. Herc, we know that she is one of the biggest names in world football. You think we'll get another World Cup out of her, though? No. I don't. And I'm surprised that's your biggest surprise because there's 17 players who played and got a bronze in Tokyo. So there's four players, four new players that are going to be part of this, and you chose Megan Rapino. And guess what? I am with you. I don't know mm. what Megan Rapino can do at 36 years of age right now. She seems to have more 
bigger aspirations. Mm. A, 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 I don't want to say political career, but a political activist, a social activist, a bigger role that transcends sport. I don't know how much longer the sport will keep her intrigued. So 38 at the next World Cup. It sounds like a big number, but we got to remember uh, when it comes to these elite women players that they're not fading out at 32, 33. They, they can push it uh, into their late 30s. We've seen it with Carly Lloyd. Yeah. She talked about this in August uh, in an interview actually with ESPN Radio and said she is thinking about retirement a lot. So I wonder about 2023. I also wonder about from the team's perspective. Um, you got a lot of young players, and yeah. they need runway. They need space. You know, every national team has to make sure it gets its generational shifts right. Players like Mal Pugh, who we see a lot when we do our running backs. Yeah. Players like Trinity Rodman, who we see all the time in Football Americas. Those players need space. Sophia and if Smith, Megan Rapinoe is Sullivan, there, totally. Absolutely. Uh, there's a huge list of these players. They need their space. Uh, and with Megan Rapinoe there, she's going to take up a lot of the air um, in the room. And from Vladko Anonofsky's perspective, it's now his time to make this his team. Is Megan Rapinoe, you know, how much of a part of that uh, is she? But it's great to have her back. She is one of the big draws. Uh, and for these friendlies, one of which would, will be on ESPN, it'll be great to have her back with the team. Let's run it back, Herc, because we had a historic goal today over in Europe. Tobin Heath, her first goal with Arsenal. Uh, see, I never got a lot of these ones where all you got to do is push it and you're like, oh, this feels good. I beat my man already. Look at this. All I got to do is beat the goalkeeper in step. Nice little finish. Let's celebrate. Mm. I know we got a lot of Arsenal fans in the production team here at Football Americas. They will never get a, a goal from the men's team in the show, so uh, this then <laughs> the next closest thing. Sorry, sorry guys. Uh, how about Kenti Robles? Of course, the Mexican playing for Real Madrid had not one but two assists hurt this week for Real Madrid in Champions League. The first one is a sweet little through ball. Look at the delicate touch on this, the vision. Deep line position, and then how about the second one? Whoop! Using her speed, then straight across. Good little finish. Mm, good to see Real Madrid continuing to grow in the women's game. They finally started investing, uh, and it's paying off with some, some impressive performances then in the Champions League. Hey, I just mentioned it, U.S. Women's National Team against South Korea next Thursday from Kansas City. Coverage starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be live on ESPN2. It'll be streaming live, of course, as always, on the ESPN app. Elsewhere, Hercules in the world of women's soccer. Remember a few months ago, the USL announcing its USL Super League, a second division for the women's game. Well, this week, Amanda Vandervoort was named the league's first president. She's worked uh, in FIFPro, the Global Players Union. She's worked for Major League Soccer. She's actually a former Division I player herself. This is a, a big job, and Herc, when you have a big job, that means you get big interviews. Here's Amanda, one-on-one -on -one with our Julie Foudy. Hi, Amanda, congratulations on your new appointment as president of the USL Super League. The league, as uh, Dan was mentioning in the graphic, is set to start in 2023, so about a year and a half away. Given that timeline, what are you most excited about with this new league? Wow, yeah, thanks, Julie. It's, it's, it's so great to be here and uh, excited, um, you know, excited about, about the Super League. And, and um, when I started talking to the leadership of the USL uh, a couple months ago, actually. I was just so inspired by the vision of the leadership, really, and their commitment to growing women's soccer uh, across this country. You know, I mean, we've been talking about developing the pathway for players, both 
you know, at the professional level and, and mm. um, the W League that we announced earlier this, this year and, and the youth kind of system. So that pathway for me is something really exciting, I think. Um, you know, and it's a privilege. It's a real privilege to, to be able to work with the, the soccer community, the women's soccer community, coaches, players, staff, executives, really to grow and, and build this league. What, what do you think the biggest challenge will be with this new league? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's uh, I think well one of the things you 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 touched on actually is is the kind of the broad you know community that that we're that we're part of and 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 my experience in the game bringing that all mm -hmm. together in in this role you know I think I think that's that's a unique challenge but more than anything the potential the potential of this league and making sure that we take the steps necessary and and create you know create the environment where we can really realize its potential. When you look at the NWSL right now and some of the challenges they're facing, what mm -hmm. lessons learned from what you're seeing? What do you take and think, okay, this is what we're going to apply to the Super League? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I think my experiences over the last two years, so I was the chief women's football officer at FIFPRO the last two years, which is the, the Global Players Union. And I can say that this, this is a global issue. It's an issue in, in, in women's soccer around the world. And um, it's one that, that um, mm -hmm. you know, we all need to take really seriously. I think commending and, and thanking the players for, for their strength and courage and coming forward is, um, you know, is, is really important. And, and as we move forward for us to take the lessons that we're learning from those that have been affected um, and implementing, you know, the things necessary in order to 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 hear, you know, hear what the challenges are from from the players themselves, because their voices will be critical, you know, to our to our um, to our success in the future. And we, you know, we look forward to working with them in that. Very exciting times for the women's game. A second division coming into the United States in 2000 and 23 and there you see some of the uh, pathway initiatives uh, that the USL Super League will have something we will certainly keep an eye on and keep covering here on Football Americas. Herc, some big news in the video game world. Are you cool with it? FIFA saying they want to charge EA double the amount to license the EA Sports game so what we could have is FIFA without FIFA. They're going to call it EA Sports FC? This is like, uh, is this the next MLS team? EA Sports <laughs> FC United? You took my line! This is so ridiculous. FIFA, EA Sports, do they not know what they are doing? Like, mm. they both lose, okay? There are degrees on who loses more, but they FIFA both loses lose. more, right? Yes, FIFA, absolutely. I mean, at the demise of the Super League, they think to themselves, how can we make more money? Oh, I know. Let's go for EA Sports. Let's go at FIFA. It's gonna charge them double. One billion for four years? Good lord. Like, and I thought, I thought California real estate was high. <laughs> I wonder, does FIFA have any good PR right now? This video game might be it. I'd be very, very cautious if I were FIFA yeah. uh, to break away from this brand, which is point. like the one thing that people say positively about FIFA. Time for our parting shot, Herc. Time for our parting shot and has to do with Inter-Miami and Phil Neville. You remember his, his comments uh, over the weekend last week talking about uh, Inter-Miami getting cheated. He wanted a massive investigation. Well, 
The Pro Soccer Referee Association not happy about it. They have sent a strongly worded letter to Don Garber. They are outraged by Neville's comments. Quote, the PSRA is very disappointed, both in Mr. Neville's comments and behavior, which we find to be unprofessional and reprehensible, and also in the outcome from Commissioner Garber. Neville, for his part, has apologized. He said, I used the word cheat, which you should never use towards officials, Herc. Mm, I told you I wanted a suspension and a fine. If he doesn't get both, I'm with the PSRA. He's getting off easy. That's uh, great. PSRA with the new release. I, I love it. Uh, no release about Miguel Layun in the racist comments made in Los Angeles? That's what about-ism, Herc. Ah, all right. Wow, a, a little release would be great. But whatevs. Inter-Miami, par for the course. Mm, mm. Do you think the, the apology is enough from our, from our good friend Phil Neville? It's a start, but you're right. There, should, there will be a fine. As far as the suspension, I don't know. I'm trying to think of... Coaches who actually get suspended when it comes to mm. refereeing and comments. Has there ever been a lengthy suspension for a coach with refereeing comments? Well, difference between, and we mentioned this on the last show, refereeing comments and questioning the integrity of the league. And that's why I think there might be a difference between integrity just the Integrity of the referees, not the league. And the suspension. And the suspension. All right. Uh, if you want more of this, you can listen to us on the Football Americas podcast. That'll do it for this edition of the show. Enjoy your weekend. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. We will see you next week. Monday's edition of the show right here on ESPN+. Plus. Her, cover up your shirt. Don't get us in trouble. Yeah, it's parental advisory. And it's, look, it's got a little. Hijo it's all good. Mama. It's all good. Hey, what about my sounder shirt? What about my sounder shirt? 